Hey everybody, welcome to another edition of the Creative Imbalance Podcast. Like always, my name is Sean Siriani, and I'm about to share with you one of the deepest talks I've ever had on the show. My guest today is a man who goes by the name Mugabe Bientia. Hope I pronounced your last name right, brother. <laughs> Sorry if I didn't. But Mugabe, he is an author a poet, beautiful soul, and he's been on this book tour throughout North America with his new book, Dear Flamina. I can go and give you a synopsis of it, but you're going to hear it from himself right off the bat of this interview. I think he can explain it the best. It's a very powerful book, and it was something he compiled in a very critical moment of his life. Um, He was basically told he was on his deathbed, and the contents of this book was something he was doing to cope with the pain and and push through and reflect on some stages of his life. And we're going to get the unfiltered story of that. And just, Mugabe, I can't thank you enough for how open you are on this episode. Um, this conversation means a lot to me. Uh, like I said to you, I forget if it was during the recording or after the recording. I probably never forget this talk. And you also thanked me of providing a space that allowed you to feel like feel open to be vulnerable and everything. And that's one of the biggest compliments I've ever had about my show. So, yeah, thanks again. And, um, yeah, before we get into this, I want to remind people, if you're listening to this on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, that every episode has its own homepage at www.girthradio.com. You'll see uh, Mugabe in the studio. You'll see the picture of his book. And we'll have links where you can uh, where you can purchase this. And if you're like me, um, listening to my podcast, you're probably more of a type who's a listener than a reader. And I flipped through this book, and he also consciously made it an easy read. Um, just the way it's laid out. Um, so even if you're not a big like book reader, I recommend you checking this out. And with all that being said, I'm not going to stretch this intro out too much longer. So let's dive right into this. Mugabe Bianca, coming at you right now. Pacific Junction Hotel, Girth Radio. Thank you so much for giving me the copy of the book. Yeah, this yeah, is this is quality. <laughs> and uh, Mugabe, yes, right? Yeah. Okay, I'm saying it right. I'm yeah. saying it right. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, yeah, thanks for reaching out too. Uh-huh. You're like the type of people who embody the spirit of the show. Who I like to talk to. That's amazing. And like right when you gave me that synopsis mm-hmm. of the book, I mm-hmm. was like, wow, this is so interesting. Thank you. Thank you. And. Um, I'm sure you can explain it to the people a lot better than me than what I read, but uh, can you kind of like tell them what it's about? And 
Uh, yeah, sure thing. So the story of the book uh, begins when um, I was a fetus. Uh, so um, Deep. <laughs> exactly. Deep lore. <laughs> I, I go all the way back to the yeah, very beginning. Yeah. That's when you started writing. <laughs> exactly. <Yeah. laughs> chilling in my uh, mother's womb. Yeah. Um, so I'm chilling in my mother's womb, um, and um, the doctors do the ultrasound to determine um, the gender of the baby, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, the big gender reveal, and the doctors tell my mother, congratulations, you're expecting a baby girl at which point she gets super excited she's super happy because she'd had two boys and one girl and she had wanted two of each she was like i want my two girls and my two boys and then i'll be set and so now that she was getting her second girl she um was like praising like everyone and was like thank god this is amazing mm -hmm. um, this is exactly what i want exactly yeah. exactly um so my mother is incredibly catholic and so she um named each of her children after a saint. Okay. And so um, the saint that she picked to name me after was Saint Philomena, um, who's this like obscure European saint from like the 1800s. But my mother's like deep, deep, deep into the Catholic tradition. So she knows all about her and knows all about her story. And so she picked um, Saint Philomena for my name. And she chose, yeah, she named me Philomena. She went out, like, bought a bunch of pink dresses and floral bonnets and all these hyper-feminine clothing products. And then... She gives birth, and doctors say, congratulations, he's a boy. Mm -hmm. um, at which point, my mother was, like, super, like, shocked and surprised. And she was literally so, like, taken back that my birth certificate reads my first name as Baby. Um, yeah. <laughs> so it's Baby Vienkia, uh, because she was like, I, I, I can't, like, like name him like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. like this, is not, this is not what I expected. This is not what I wanted. Um, and so for the first, like couple months of my life I was dressed up in all those pink dresses all those frilly bonnets all those like hyper feminine clothing products because she was like that's all she had you yeah, know? Yeah, 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 yeah yeah she was like I'm not about to like spend money on a bunch of boys and like like the fact that we have boys clothes and girls clothes when it's like 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 is there anything really innate to a boy or a girl on like how they dress it doesn't make sense yeah yeah um and my mother's raised me with this story my whole life of Philomena is who you are supposed to be, right? And she throws, like, all this subtle shade at me where she'll be like, oh, Mugabe, you have such beautiful eyelashes. They were wasted on a boy. Oh, <laughs> shit. <yeah. laughs> and I'm like, thanks. Yeah, like, good morning to you too, mom. Yeah, <laughs> heavy with the punches. <laughs> exactly. <Yeah. laughs> uh, but then she had my little sister, so then she got her second girl, and she now refers to me as her bonus child. She's like, you're just the bonus. And I'm like, all right, I'm, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm down with that. Um, but I was raised with this story, and so um, I decided to use this narrative of Philomena, the person I was supposed to be in constructing the book, uh, because the book revolves around one year of my life. Um, and this was like the, one of the worst years of my life because I suffered from two back-to-back -back strokes in late 2014. Um, and those led to a whole multitude of health issues, and um, the doctors couldn't really figure out what was going on because I was 22 at the time. Um, strokes usually happen in people like 65 plus. Like, yeah, yeah. I'd never smoked in my life. You know, like I'd had none of like the risk factors that lead to somebody having a stroke. Oh, wow. Um, and so, um, like, I was like on my deathbed. Like, all the doctors and everyone I saw told me that I was going to die by the end of a year. Um, and so, as I was trying to like figure that out and go to a bunch of different doctors and try to find some help, um, I needed some way of processing emotionally and mentally what I was going yeah, through. Yeah, definitely, man. Yeah, because it, 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 it
like cut me deep and like yeah i can't even imagine being in that situation like, exactly just, yeah because like i was in ridiculous amounts of pain from head to toe i was having like three or four seizures a day <sighs> um like I, I couldn't walk for the better part of a year like i was using a wheelchair to get around and like it was it, it was terrible and so one of the ways that i processed that was i started writing um letters um i started writing these letters to philomena to the, per the woman I was supposed to be about what I was dealing with, what was on my mind, um, what, what I was going through. And um, then um, like a year later, after like I had these letters like all lined up, I decided to craft it into a book and have Philomena write back. Oh, and wow. Have her so tell it's... me about like what she was dealing with and what was going on in her life and try to like visualize what my world would have been if I was raised as a girl. Yeah, and yeah. like if I had been that girl that my mother wanted. That's interesting. That's yeah. a that's a, a a crazy perspective to like put yourself even like a as a writer to mm -hmm. like jump on that. Do you like kind of feel like you're two different souls into one? Or I I honestly do because like 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 this book and like just my experiences um have like got me very very interested in like the fluidity of like gender, um because like. Like, I believe that, like, gender is very socially constructed and, like, a lot of, like, the things that people associate with, like, traditional masculinity or traditional femininity are things that aren't inherently masculine or feminine. You know, like, the color yeah. pink is not an inherently feminine yeah, color. Yeah, yeah. It's just attributed to women because of society, you know? Yeah. Um, like, um, painting your nails is not inherently feminine. It's just attributed to women because of society. Because, like, a lot of goth men paint their nails and, like, that's not a feminine thing, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. And so, like, it got me, like, looking at, like, the similarities between men and women and the differences and um, how, like, gender is very different from sex um, and how sex isn't necessarily, like, a binary either and gender isn't a binary. Um and yeah, it was, it was a very, very interesting uh, yeah, thought yeah. experiment and like involved a lot of research. By research, I mean just like texting my friends who are women and being like, what's life like as a woman? Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But like that like caused me to like also help me like unlearn a lot of the privileges that I have as a man. Mm -hmm. And like um, a lot of the things that women deal with and go through that I don't even have to think twice about. Yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's amazing to like jump out of like the mindset, I guess we're all commonly mm -hmm. programmed to think, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. and it's like, I love like having conversations with people like you too, because they're thinking beyond the surface and right. it's cool that you crafted this into, I don't know which, what happened as like a tragedy in mm -hmm, your life and mm -hmm. turned it into like a beautiful piece of art. Thank Boy, you. Yeah. Yeah. Thank yeah. You. yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I can't, I can't wait to start diving into this book too. Mm -hmm. Like what were some of like, um, the things you would talk about to uh, to your other self in a uh, way. Um, well, my conversations with Philomena, um, they like ranged from like the like mundane to like the very very tragic. You know, like mm -hmm. um, a lot of my um, conversations to her revolved around um, things um, regarding the medical establishment. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because I was seeing a lot of different doctors, trying to get myself figured out, and I faced a lot of invalidation and a lot of racism uh from uh the medical establishment Seriously? yeah um yeah. when i was dealing with my strokes because um <laughs> like i didn't fit the common criteria of somebody who um was a stroke survivor you know i wasn't 65 plus i wasn't a smoker i wasn't all these things and so a lot of the doctors 
um, doctors are trained in a way that, like, how they diagnose things is like um, process of elimination, right? Yeah, so they got kind of got like a checklist formula. Exactly, going on. exactly. And when like you don't fit into the checklist, a lot of them, um, what they jumped to was that um, I was crazy, or I was lying. Whoa. Yeah, yeah, because they were like, you don't fit, therefore, you must be crazy. And so I had a lot of doctors be like, um, go see a psychiatrist. Or, wow, yeah. Wow, when seriously, like, you're having these strokes yeah. and everything. Mm-hmm, Whoa, mm-hmm. that's crazy. And, but... uh, like, I had doctors tell me to my face, these are, like, neurologists who have, you know, like, been t- to medical school, done a fellowships in neurology, and been practicing for, like, 30-plus years, tell me to my face that it's all in your head. That's terrifying to mm-hmm. me. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, these are the people you're supposed to go to for answers and exactly. stuff, and they're turning you away. And I've heard things like that, too, with, like, different medical issues, too, mm-hmm. where... It's just almost like they don't dig deeper. They just kind of mm-hmm. look like, oh, yeah, you'll be fine. And yep. somebody goes home, and next thing you know, like, it could be like their last day or exactly. something like that. Mm-hmm. And, wow. So, so how did you like proceed when they like turn you away and tell you go? Did you just keep on pushing? It's like, no, something's seriously wrong. You guys need to do something. So, um, it was difficult to keep pushing because, like, once they made up their mind about something, they were like, I've made up my mind. Like, yeah, that's yeah. it. And even um, from your perspective, you're probably like, oh, they're the doctor, the exactly, expert. Exactly, like, it's yeah. got to be so confusing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It, because, like, also, like, you're raised um, as, like, you know, like, somebody who's, like, not a doctor. Um, you're raised to trust doctors, you know? You're raised to, like, see these as professionals who know what they're doing. And if they say something... Um, doctors are sort of seen as like godlike, you know, like if they say something like that means it's a fact. Yeah. Um, yeah. But like this experience like taught me that like doctors are not God, you know, mm-hmm. and like they don't know everything uh, because like at the beginning, like I was like, all right, like you're telling me I'm crazy. You're telling me to go see a psychiatrist. I'll get another opinion, but I will go see that psychiatrist as well because like. I felt like, okay, I might be crazy, you know, like they might be right. Because like if somebody with all these years of medical experience is telling me I'm crazy, who am I to say I'm not crazy? Because like, does a crazy person know they're crazy? Mm-hmm. You know, like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've had that thought too. Yeah. It's like, yeah. <laughs> Shit, yeah. Because like, like I've interacted with people who like ha- have deep psychosis and like, you know, like are in like institutions and like, they don't think like the ones who are like, they don't think that they are, you know, like crazy. Crazy, like they think that they are sane and they think like I'm the one who's like messed up. And mm-hmm. so yeah, I was, yeah, like, I, yeah. I was like, I might be, you know. Um, yeah. But then like it was like I went to these psychiatrists and like it wasn't helping and I wasn't doing anything. So then I was like, all right. So like um, I started doing research of my own and I started like um, like just like doing a lot of like Google and Wikipedia searches. And then I found a community of a bunch of people um, who were dealing with a whole bunch of medical issues that doctors weren't validating. And a lot of them told me go see a black doctor uh, because um, I started reading into, um, like, I'm black, and I started reading into, like, a lot of um, um, racism within the medical industry where there's this perception that black people um, are, like, drug users um, and um, addicts and um, that that when black people come to the doctor with conditions of, like, chronic pain or, like, things that, um, that, that... commonly what the doctor would do would be prescribe a prescription painkiller um that they're just like looking for like a percocet high or like you know an oxycodone fix oh fuck yeah Yeah. and so i was like oh like that means like uh, these and so i was like all right let me go try see a black doctor the minute i went to see a black doctor he was like you're in how much pain and all you're taking is tylenol like 
what's wrong with these doctors who you've seen before? Yeah. And I was like, wow. Like, all it took was one doctor to, like, be like, no, like, we need you on something stronger. Like, let's try to figure this out. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's, that's absolutely terrifying mm-hmm. to me to know that's going on, too. Mm-hmm. Like, that type of racism and, like, mm-hmm. like I don't know. I'm sure... I, I don't want to generalize all doctors, yeah. but mm-hmm. th- that being a thing is just... I, I can't even imagine. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um... So he like kind of fixed you up in the right way or put you in the right direction because you also said like you thought you were pretty much gonna die. Yeah, well, yeah. Uh, um, so like, it, uh, unfortunately, um, the prescription painkillers that he gave me um, didn't help, uh, but it like helped like um, cross out, you know, like the, the fact that like uh, uh, um, like it, it helped me cross out one more thing that wouldn't help and helped me like come to like the eventual. Um, realization and conclusion uh, because I thought I was going to die because like I was seeing all these doctors n- a lot of them were telling me it was in my head um, others were telling me um, they didn't know what was going on um, I was trying all these things I tried like all the, all the, everything under the sun and the one conclusion that they could give me was that either A it was all in my head and I was crazy B I could tell and they could tell that I was getting progressively worse over time because like yeah. I lost my ability to walk, my pain was getting oh, worse, wow. my seizures were getting Jesus. worse. Um, I pretty much like laid in bed um, all day. Um, I woke up. Um, I was living with my sister at the time because um, I was in grad school when the strokes happened, and I had to like take a leave of absence to like figure out my health. Um, moved in with my sister. I woke up. She would like uh, bring me like breakfast. I'd eat. Um, pretty much just like lay in bed because I couldn't move much. Um, she'd come back home after work. She'd bring me dinner. Uh, we'd watch TV and then like I'd go I'd eventually fall asleep for like maybe an hour or two um, because I was in so much pain that I physically couldn't fall asleep until I was exhausted yeah and yeah. then like when I like woke up like the pain like snapped me out of my sleep you know Shit, um, that's, yeah that's so like crazy yeah, yeah I'd go like three four nights without sleep sometimes because yeah. it's just like it hurts too, too much yeah, to just yeah. relax mm-hmm. oh wow um and so like I thought I was going to die because, like, I had, like, the doctors who told, who didn't tell me that it was all in my head, they were like, you're getting progressively worse. We don't know what's going on. Um, you probably won't make it to the end of the year. Oh, man. Yeah. And what is it like to hear that news? Like, what goes on in your head when somebody says you're not going to make it at the end of the year? This It was devastating. Yeah. 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 It was devastating. But, like... I'm a planner, and so, like, yeah. it was, like, devastating, but my mind just immediately jumped to, all right, time to plan for death. Okay, yeah. so you kind of came to, like, this accept- acceptance mm-hmm. within yourself? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's mm-hmm. heavy, man. And yeah. so, like, I started, like, um, writing, you know, letters to my friends and family, telling them, like, I love them, and, like, you yeah. know, like... Like little goodbyes in yeah, a way? Yeah, Whoa. yeah. Whoa. Mm-hmm. Oh, my head. And... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and like this, like this, what became the book, like was like a goodbye of sorts. Um, because like the book started like in the notes app of my phone. Like I just like, you know, write out these letters uh, to Philomena. And like I like um, created like a little private Twitter account as well, where like I would like um, just like tweet like whatever was like on my mind, um, like at any time, like completely unfiltered. Um, it was supposed to be completely private and like supposed to be like nobody could like um, find it or know it was linked to me. Yeah. Um, and like that was supposed to be like a record um, so that like 
when like I passed, like people could like you know like see what was really going on. Oh um, wow! Because like I didn't feel fully comfortable disclosing to people, like because like I would talk to people about like oh like you know like I'm struggling and. A lot of people don't know how to handle when, like, somebody that they love and care for is dealing with a really rough time. Yeah, um, it almost leaves you speechless, too. I'm yeah, sure, like, mm-hmm. they wanted to help you or mm-hmm. even, like, say something comforting, but mm-hmm. it's almost like, what do I yeah, say? Yeah, is this yeah. is mm-hmm. such an extreme situation? Exactly, because, like, no matter what they say or do, like, they can't take away the pain. They can't yeah. take away the seizures. They can't take away any everything I'm dealing with. And um, a lot of people also just, like make it about themselves you know yeah Um, yeah and like i had like people be like oh like i can't like talk to you right now like what you're going through like it affects me too much and i'm like it affects you (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) like what about me you know (laughs) i've even i've even noticed those types of people too at funerals when Mm -hmm. they do the speech too it's like about them 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 and not even like really honoring the person who you're supposed to be it's like i miss them so much like like and it's like like, come on like this is not about you right now yeah yeah for Mm -hmm. sure and like i think that's something people should be more conscious about too definitely it's like a common thing (laughs) but um yeah, you mentioned too, like you were almost considered as this bonus child. Mm-hmm. Like in the whole grand scheme, like as you were in this moment of your life where mm-hmm. you were on your deathbed, did mm-hmm. you ever think like this was kind of like fate? Cause uh, because like I was <laughs> supposed to be someone else. Yeah. Did mm-hmm. you ever like think that way or no? Was... Um, honestly, I had. Like, never really considered that until you just pointed it out right <laughs> yeah, now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but, like, um, one, th- w- one thing um, that, like, I forgot to mention and one thing that, like, um, you should know is that, um, unfortunately, these two strokes that I had that came out of nowhere were not my first experiences with strokes. Okay, so you yeah. had them when you were younger. Yeah. I had one stroke when I was younger. Whoa, yeah, yeah. Yeah, when I was nine years old, which, like, was even more, like, completely just, like, we don't know what's going on. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the stroke when I was nine years old um, completely paralyzed the right side of my body. And that was another experience where I was supposed to die because, like, doctors couldn't figure out what was going on. They were like, he's otherwise a healthy nine-year-old, but he had a stroke. And, but this one was, like, they could, like, um, they could more, like, there was a more, like, uh, uh, there was less like of the racism and less like it's all wait no actually no actually for the nine year, for the stroke when I was nine year old I was sheltered from everything that like the medical establishment was invalidating um, towards my situation because of my parents because as a nine year old you're not going to the doctors yourself and like talking to them you know yeah, like yeah. So your you... parents are going and they're doing all that for you and you just like sit there um, and so like I didn't realize until I went through these strokes that when I was having conversations with my mom about everything I was dealing with, my mom was like, it's exactly the same as everything me and your dad were dealing with. Oh, just with like the a decade when before. You were, yeah. yeah. Um, wow. And my mom was like, I really hope that you would never have to deal with all of this because uh, you're my child and I want to protect you. And mm-hmm. that's why I protected you from all of that. Um, and you had no idea that, yeah, you were supposed to die at nine years old and that, yeah, all the doctors told you was all in your head and that, yeah, like we wouldn't have had the answers that we got if me and your dad hadn't taken you to multiple different, you know, like went to one doctor's like it's all in your head. They were like, all right, another one. All right, another one. All right, another one. And like, they just didn't give up until they found a doctor who was finally like, oh, 
no, like this is actually this like um, incredibly, in- no, he did have a stroke. Oh, this is an incredibly rare um, condition. Oh my God, I don't think I've ever seen anything like this before. Oh, that doesn't mean that it's all in his head. That just means that science hasn't caught up with him yet. Yeah. You know, like. Holy fuck. Yeah. But to go through all that to get that answer, that's. Mm-hmm. That's insane. Yeah. <laughs> like, and I'm sure other people, like, if that's the way it was been practiced for mm-hmm. all these years, mm-hmm. like, lots of people have been going through that as well. Exactly. As you. Like, oh, it's yeah, such a sickening thing for me. Like, it I is. almost like, <laughs> don't know what to, to say about it. It's like pissing me off. <laughs> do you think like the medical like industry changed, or do you think it's still like that? Because I, I think it's very much still like that because, yeah. like, I had my two, I had my two strokes. Uh, well, like when I was nine, I had my stroke, and it wasn't until a year later, at like ten years old, that we got the answer that science hasn't caught up to him yet. But what we can do is we can put him on this medication to like reduce the chances of another stroke, and we can put him in physical therapy to like help him. Um, because I lost the right side of my body. It's completely yeah. paralyzed, and so I needed to like learn how to walk. Um, and uh, again, because like all I could do was hop around on one foot. I needed mm-hmm. to learn how to write again and eat again because I used to be right-handed. Uh, I had to learn how to like, you know, like I had to like strengthen my arm muscles enough to be able to like extend my arm out yeah, um, because yeah. like my hand was stuck in a position that it couldn't move. And I needed a lot of massage and a lot of physical therapy to be able to, like, put weight on my foot to, like, be able to, like, function, you know, as an independent human being. Um, And so with the two strokes I had when I was 22, um, it was a similar conclusion. um, But, like, it took me, like, a year and a couple of months to actually find the doctors who were, like, it's not all in your head. Like, that's ridiculous. Um, It definitely is physiological. We can definitely, like, um, see that something is going on. But unfortunately, science hasn't caught up to you yet. You know, like what yeah, you're dealing yeah. with, we're doing research in it right now, and we hope to have some answers for you sometime in the future. But right now, we can't fix you. You know, we can't heal you, but we can um, help you manage and we can help you learn how to adjust. Yeah, yeah. And that was all I needed. Yeah. You know? One thing that I'm thinking of, like, as you like got through all this, like you had it like when you were nine years old, uh-huh. you had it again like ten years later, uh-huh. and you're telling me the after effects where you had to rehabilitate yourself uh-huh. and everything. I think it's so beautiful that you're able to tell this story after that too, and be able to, like talking to you, you articulate so well, uh-huh. and even you wrote a book about <laughs> it and stuff like that. It's just like the total like fuck you to death. And, like, <laughs> Like, you hit the bottom, like, uh-huh. almost as low as a person can go and survive. Mm-hmm. Like, they told you you're going to die. Mm-hmm. And then just And I to, felt like I was going to die, you know? Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like when you're laying in bed all day in ridiculous amounts of pain, like, like you feel like you're dying. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, how how is your health? Or actually, before I get to that, mm-hmm. I, I want to know a bit of the process that pushed you through it. Like, you said you were writing. Mm-hmm. And what was the moment where you knew you were going to be okay? Um, the moment that I knew I was going to be okay, um, I went to uh, the Mayo Clinic because um, I was living in the States at the time of all this, like, um, strokes and everything. Um, so um, we got, <laughs> me, and, uh, me and my sister were, like, going from doctor to doctor to doctor trying to get it figured out. And we got a referral to the Mayo Clinic because they're, like, the doctor's doctor. They're, like, you know where people go, like, when they have something that no doctor can figure out. And so we went up there and we did like a whole bunch of like tests and stayed up um, in Minnesota for like a week or two. And they were like, all right, like, 
um, we've determined that like we can't like uh, figure out the exact mechanism of like what's um, uh, causing your issues um, and we can't like heal you or like offer an instant fix um, but um, we can put you in this rehabilitation program that can teach you how to manage your condition um, because like everything that I everything that my body was telling me to do were things that I shouldn't have been doing like because oh, okay. I was in ridiculous amounts of pain and I was exhausted all the time so like I couldn't physically like move that much uh, but they were like you should be moving but at the same time, like, we understand that, like, you're in ridiculous amounts of pain and you're physically exhausted. And so you have to move within your limitations. Yeah, and so, yeah. like, it started off with, like, me, like, literally, like, doing, like, um, these, like, little um, raises that they taught me how to do, which is, like, it, like simulates, like, getting out of bed. I did, like, five of those a day. And then oh, I okay, moved, like, yeah, up yeah. to, like, ten a day. And, like, eventually that, like, upgraded to me learning how to walk again over a couple of months, whoa, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah. So um, just conditioning over and over exactly, and over. Exactly, exactly. Um, and that slow conditioning and that physical rehabilitation and that uh, physical therapy and everything I went through, um, that, um, like, I saw the differences and I saw that, like, okay, um, this isn't something that can be taken away. And this physical therapy and all of this physical rehabilitation I'm going through it actually is helping and it's actually um, stabilizing my condition and I can actually do things and I can actually function um, despite everything I, ha I have going on and I don't feel like death 24-7 anymore. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. So that was the start of yeah, you pushing. Yeah, recovering. Yeah. Do you think, like, from your perspective, if you didn't do all that conditioning, mm -hmm. you you would it would be the end? Do you think that kind of pushed towards healthiness like um, or do you think you like somebody would be able to ride it out or i'm, I'm not too sure because like i'm yeah, so fascinated because yeah. like yeah this is like a total perspective like a lot of people like don't, don't to have, talk yeah, even yeah. talk about too mm -hmm. i never had a conversation like this with anybody mm -hmm. yeah. if i didn't do the conditioning i honestly feel like i would have killed myself yeah 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 because um like the like pain that I went through was so ridiculous and so intense that like suicide was always on my mind and it was always on my mind as like I need like my my entire mind and body was telling me you need to escape this pain oh, okay, you need to yeah. escape these seizures <laughs> you need to escape everything you're dealing with and the only escape that I could think of was like either like something um well, the permanent escape is suicide, and the other escape is, like, something that, like, can numb the pain, which would be, like, some sort of, like, a substance that I could get addicted to, you know? Like yeah, yeah, becoming yeah. an alcoholic or, Yeah, or just, like, like morphine and all yeah, that shit. Exactly, yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly, which, which is unhealthy. Yeah, yeah. Um, And, like, I feel like that's, like, like, that's what leads to, like, addicts, you know? Like, they're yeah. dealing with something that... um is a huge burden, whether that be emotionally or mentally or physically. Um, like every single alcoholic or addict I know, the reason that they turned to whatever substance that they use is because of some pain that they were dealing yeah, with, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, like, I suspect that if I hadn't gone through the physical rehab and if I hadn't um, done what I did to set the path of recovery, um, which honestly, like, the reason it took so long was because every single doctor I went to was telling me, no, you need to rest. 
And mm -hmm. so I was like, all right, I'm listening to them, I'm going to rest. But then it wasn't until I went to the Mayo Clinic that they were like, no, 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 no. Like, like you need to rest within reason, but like you shouldn't be doing all this resting that you've been doing. Like that has just like completely atrophied your body. And now your body isn't used to moving. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, that goes against like everything all these doctors were telling me. And also just goes against common sense because like when you're sick, you're like common sense implies that you're supposed to rest you know mm, definitely, um, but definitely, like yeah, they were yeah. telling me no 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 when you're sick you should move like motion is lotion like it helps you but just move within your limitations and figuring out the limitations that was difficult but um i eventually got yeah, there yeah. yeah and thank you for sharing so much of that with me too i'm sure mm. it's exhausting to relive <laughs> too but it's just like uh i feel like even though we're in the middle of this episode like this is going to be one of these conversations that i never <laughs> fucking forget because i've never talked to somebody about that before thank you but um yeah so as you push through you've been doing the writing mm -hmm. and then finally was it like the moment you got like healthier you started compiling this into a book or because at first the plan wasn't the book right no, 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 no not no, at no. all yeah, yeah, yeah. How it, was, did... it was just like a coping mechanism yeah yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. how did that come to be that uh, um the that book the, the book came to be because honestly um well i came to realize a couple of things i came to realize that um a lot of people are suffering with a lot of things um, that are like the medical system can't figure out yeah, that like yeah. there needs more research in and that the medical system is telling them either they're crazy or it's all in their head or they're um, assuming they're a drug seeker or something like that and that more people need to know about this. Mm -hmm. um, and also um, I had all of this like material um, and I wanted to, I needed a way to like, mentally and emotionally process everything that I'd been through. Uh, because, like, those letters that I was writing were, like, a good form of, like, helping, like, myself release. But, like, um, I was in therapy at the time um, because the doctors told me to go to therapy. Yeah, and yeah. I ended up, like, not getting anything out of the therapy in terms of, like, my pain, like, uh, in terms of, like, lowering my pain or dealing with my medical issues. Uh, but therapy ended up having the complete side effect of helping me, like, mentally and emotionally process, like... Okay, yeah. Yeah, so it was doing something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but not what they thought it was going to no, do. No. No. <laughs> yeah, but, like, I, I just go to my therapist and, like, complain about doctors and he was like, wow, that really sucks. And I was like, yeah, it does. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but, um, I was in therapy and that was treating me well. But I felt like, because, like, I've always written my whole life, but, like, I never really took um, writing seriously mm -hmm. uh, because I was very much pushed away from writing because it's not the most practical career. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, like, I was pushed towards more practical um, careers of uh, the sciences. Um, so I studied environmental science in college, and I was doing a master's program in environmental science as well because I was good at it. Yeah. Um, but throughout that time, did you always feel like there was like that creative side in you, the writing? And yeah, 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 yeah. Definitely. And like, like I would like write like on occasion, and like I like uh, performed at like a couple like uh, poetry nights and stuff like that. But like I wasn't taking it as seriously as I'd have liked to. Mm -hmm. um, and then when I got hit with this, like when the doctors told me that I probably wasn't gonna make it for by the end of the year, then I was like, crap. Like, I um, have lived for, I was like 23 at the time. I was like, I've lived for 23 years. I might not make it to 24. And I don't have any serious writing 
um, that I've done to show for my life. And like being a writer is like something that like I've wanted since I was a child. I remember like being like five or six and like walking up to like my older siblings and being like, yo, like let's play a game. And they were like, nah, we're busy reading. Cause I was oh, like yeah, yeah. raised in like a family full of readers yeah, and like study, study, study. No, yeah. not no, like, just for, uh, like for, reading for pleasure. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah. Cool, cool. They were like curled up on the couch. Like one was reading Harry Potter. Another was, you know, like oh, reading yeah, another book and like, that's, that's they were cool, just, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah like, uh, like our parents raised us to like be very, very voracious readers and to love reading. Uh, because like with my mom and dad, um, they grew up and like ridiculously like, um, um like abject circumstances like um they were like um not well off growing up and for them like the way out of their situation and the way to a better life was through education Ah, and so they wanted a way of like putting um education on us in a way that like was fun yeah yeah that's smart yeah yeah. yeah. (laughs) (laughs) because like it's like forcing a kid to study is not fun you know but they were like we can make them love reading Mm -hmm. and like if we make them love reading like no matter like whether they like you know like um like it or not they're going to become smart yeah definitely (laughs) almost like you have unconsciously gained like knowledge and imagination and everything exactly Yeah, Yeah, yeah yeah um and so they made us all love reading um and i was i couldn't read at that time because i was a kid and so i was like what is this reading thing that it can be better than like playing because like i was like playing is the best thing ever you know like and so i was like what's reading and so i wound up to my mom i was like yo can you teach me how to read and she taught me and it was amazing and i fell in love with those worlds and i was like i want to be an author i want to be a writer when i grow up Mm -hmm. and then i was like 23 on my deathbed and i was like i'm not a writer uh like i failed and like my mission and like everything that I had set out to be because I was supposed to be a part-time writer. That was my, that was my thing. I was like, all right, I can be a full-time scientist and a part-time writer. But then I was like, I didn't even achieve the part-time writer, and I'm going to die. So I got a couple months. I might as well try to write a book. Mm-hmm. And so that was what spurred me, really, to write the book. And then once I realized that, like, I wasn't going to die, I was like, oh, okay, I can actually, like, complete the book. Because I had, like, the unfinished book, like, that I was working on. Yeah, And yeah. then, like, once I went up to the Mayo Clinic and they were like, nah, like, we can help you, we can rehabilitate you. I was like, oh, okay, perfect. Like, now I can complete Finish this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it won't just be in my Google Docs draft folder. <laughs> yeah. uh, that's, that's obviously <laughs> wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's, that's so, so cool. And yeah. what's, what's awesome... Uh, yeah, you mentioned you're on a book tour now, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah. Uh, yeah, how's that going? You're going to like all these different cities? Yeah, and, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, what do you do on these book tours? So like the book tour was honestly incredibly like fortuitous in the way like it got set up. Like I was um, out, um, I moved to Toronto like September 2016 and I was out at the Rex um, and I bumped into um, a friend of mine, uh, friend of mine, this was after I'd launched the book and, like, done my little, like, book launch, and, like, it went well, and, like, sold, like, a couple copies, Um, and then I was talking to a friend of mine, and he was like, oh, sorry, I missed your book launch, I was like, oh, it's all good, and he was like, so what's next, a tour? And I was like, like, who do you think I am? Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like but he, he sparked it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. So, not, so then I was like, hmm, like, what would a tour entail? Yeah. And like, I also like, um, like, uh, love poetry and write poetry. And like, um, I like go to like spoken word events and stuff like that. And yeah, yeah. It even says on your biography, occasional rapper yes. as well. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> exactly. No, yeah. I do occasional rap. I got into that through my brother, um, because my brother's a rapper. And yeah. I was always like, oh, I, I, I want to like be a better rapper 
tougher than him. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <that's> <laughs> um, and then like I was, I got booked to headline this poetry event, and I was like, whoa, like. I got booked to headline this poetry event just through going to the event like a couple times and like impressing this person. And they were like, yeah, sure, we'll pay you like, you know, like a hundred dollars. And I was like, wait, what? Like I can actually make money? Yeah, doing yeah. This? I was just doing this because it's in my soul. <laughs> <Exactly>. Sweet. <laughs> and then I was like, hmm, like I, I wonder what this would entail. So then I just like cold emailed a bunch of people and I was like, hey, are you willing to book me? And then like they were like, yeah. And I was like, hmm, okay. So I have like a lot of people um, who would be willing to like give me a couch to crash on in a lot of different parts of North America. Um, like, so how about I email people in those cities asking if they'll book me? And they did. Wow. Um, and yeah, I've like, like I'm at the tail end of the tour right now. Um, no, uh, and like I've done like over like 50 different cities. Like, wow. Yeah, all the way from, thank you. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> all man. the way from Halifax, uh, Regina, uh, Vancouver, um, Chicago, LA, cool, cool. Washington DC, New York. Like it's it's been amazing. Yeah. Yeah. That's incredible. And you're going around and more people are hearing your exactly. awesome story. Mm -hmm. and yeah. It's and I like fuse um my spoken word poetry into the storytelling because like I I find like people who do book tours like um they either like depend on like the cult of like celebrity to like um get people out like michelle obama you know like yeah people yeah. are gonna show up to michelle obama's yeah, just, book tour because she's michelle obama yeah, even if know? she doesn't say a word they just want to like look at her and exactly. make, hopefully get like an autograph or something. <laughs> yeah. exactly yeah um but like michelle obama the way she does her book tours is the way a lot of authors do them where they have a conversation with somebody else about the book right which is interesting mm -hmm. um if you are like interested in the person you know yeah, then you yeah. get to more know more about their life but um, for me, who is not a celebrity and who does not, you know, like have this cult following, it's like, why would people show up to hear about my yeah, life? You know, do something else. It's <laughs> exactly. such a grind. I know. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah but uh, well, yeah, that's. That, but, but you come up with different ways to exactly. like. Oh, so how if, am if I, I got the rapping, and if I have the spoken word poetry, and if I like tell my story through like an engaging way, where like people are like, oh yeah, sure, I'll go to see this like rapper poet author who's like telling a story like that sounds interesting yeah. um and if like they got like an open mic at the end of it where like people can come up and share what they have to like it helps oh, you know? yeah, 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 yeah 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 that's so cool mm -hmm. yeah it yeah. kind of makes it even uh more of a communal exactly. experience as well and exactly. people can put themselves into it yeah mm -hmm. that's that's a really well done way you did, did yeah. were the turnouts all right too um yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. turnouts are pretty solid like it varied from place to place because mm -hmm. like depending on like who was like who i was working with to organize like a lot of these places like um they have like monthly open mics or whatnot and like occasionally they feature like a traveling um author or poet or a musician or something like that cool, who's like the cool. headliner um yeah varied from like at its lowest like i've done like little book clubs with like five to six people um but I, at my highest i've done like 100 plus so yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a rock star shit yeah. <laughs> exactly oh, man that's that's such a wild journey you've been on mm -hmm. i'm so like excited to dive into this thank you thank you and uh, also i noticed as you were coming in you had a 
uh, a Spider-Man tooth on. Yes. You're a big like a uh, comic guy. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, I'm, I'm, that's I'm, dope. I'm a yeah. huge comic guy. You, you reminded me. Um, I need to see the Spider Verse before oh, it comes out of the theater because yes. I, 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 somebody told me I need to watch it with 3D glasses and everything. Oh. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was like, oh yeah, the movie. As I saw you walking in the snow. <laughs> the Spider-Man took my brother actually because it was my birthday on Wednesday. Yeah, yeah. Uh, my brother got me that. Um, like a long. My brother got me this like Spider-Man box. Or, I was like, like it's literally a box that like had Spider-Man on it. I was like, Spider-Man gift box. I was like, what's this? So I opened it up. There was a toque. There was a like mug. There was like oh, all this cool, like cool, <laughs> all yeah. this Spider-Man memorabilia. But yeah, yeah. Uh, um, we've been planning to see the Spider-Verse, but like every single time we like head to the theaters, like for some reason, like we keep on messing up the timing. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, we hope to catch it before it's out of yeah, theaters. Yeah, yeah. Well. I heard it's good too. Yeah, I've heard even... it's amazing. Yeah, I, I I heard like without like a spoiler too, like huh. Stan Lee recorded all this stuff oh, really? before he passed away, uh, like knowing he was gonna pass away. Yeah, 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 yeah. And yeah. Uh -huh. and yeah, the the person who was telling me this didn't like spoil anything, mm -hmm. but he said there's like this big moment where he's a big part of it, oh. and he's like, I just teared up. He's just like <laughs> talking imagine. about like his creativity and mm -hmm. everything too. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. It was so amazing. Rest that, in peace. Yeah, rest in peace. That really intrigued me to go see it too. Mm -hmm, definitely. And um. I really like your pin too, black and strange. I I need to get you a second one. This is black and awesome. Because <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. This is. Uh, I feel like this is like I said before. This is like one of these conversations. I'm. I don't think I'm gonna forget. You know, you. um, it's such an interesting perspective. And cheers to your health, your life, and mm -hmm. everything. And Amen. and yeah, if somebody wanted to like check out your book or yeah. like. Your social media, where would they find you? Oh, so um, if somebody wanted to check out my book, um, it's on, uh, so the electronic book is on Amazon, um, Dear Philomena by Mugabe Bienkia. Um, that's M-U-G-A-B-I, uh, Bienkia is B-Y-E-N-K-Y-A. Um, only the electronic book is on Amazon, though, because Amazon is not the best business model. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, for me to, like, ship them a bunch of physicals and for them to ship them out, it'd be, like, I'd be, like, making, like, 50 cents per book, which, like, would not be cost-effective, you know, like, mm -hmm. with, like, production cost and everything. And so, um, right now, I'm selling the book um, through um, my publisher, okay, uh, which cool. is Discovering Diversity Publishing. So, if you uh, go to discoveringdiversitypublishing.com, uh, you can find the book there, and that can be shipped to you worldwide. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, yeah. And looking at it, too, I'm like, holding like, it's such good quality, yeah, like, yeah, the yeah, yeah. art and everything. Yeah. This is... Awesome. It's kind of got like your head like mm -hmm. cut in half and all the letters going mm -hmm. through. It's like, uh, it's so, so well done. And yeah, and man, I, I know I just met you, but I'm proud of you, man. You. Like, thank such you. a good journey. And thank you. Thank you for like sharing your story. And mm -hmm. anything else you want to say before we wrap this one? Um, yeah, sure thing. Yeah. Um, if anyone would like to follow me on social media, um, my Instagram is at Mugabs. That's M U G A B S. My Twitter is at Mugabs B. That's M-U-G-A-B-S-B. Uh, my Facebook page is Mugabe Bienkia. That's my first and last names. And if you like, would like like a specially signed book, I can like ship that out to you, uh, no problem. And you can like e-transfer, PayPal me the money. Um, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I'm just yeah, out here doing my thing, and um, I'm a firm believer in um, the strength in vulnerability. Mm -hmm. And so that's one of the reasons that I try to like get out and share my story as much as I can because. Um, it helps me and like, it, well, it helped me a lot more when I started doing it with like, um, 
processing and like coming to terms with and like being more comfortable with um, everything that I've dealt with and like being like more um, like stable mentally and emotionally. Now it doesn't really do much in terms of that just because I've done it so much. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I've noticed that it helps other people. Yeah, um, but you know what's, what's interesting about that? You putting yourself in that vulnerable state. Mm-hmm. It's almost like you mentioned it's you kind of like overcame that vulnerability. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's it's so cool to hear that as well too because mm-hmm. yeah, it just shows like the more you kind of like put yourself into these positive but uncomfortable, uncomfortable. Si- mm, positions right. you're going to mm-hmm. grow and it's going to just turn into like a big part of you like unconsciously too exactly. and i connect with that with doing the podcast exactly. as well mm-hmm. too and i know some people like have reached out to me too mm-hmm. uh, when i would talk about like what you were just saying mm-hmm. about being vulnerable too mm-hmm. and that also like inspires them too mm-hmm. so it's it's almost like some magic happens when you like can accept like Something that makes you uncomfortable mm-hmm. or say a flaw or mm-hmm. something, it kind of like humanizes things beyond belief. Exactly. And like, because I don't know, like some people like see people like, oh, he wrote a book. Mm-hmm. He's like maybe in their mind, like we're all human beings, but mm-hmm. they'll put you mentally like on an upper. Yes. Yeah. yeah on a pedestal. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or mm-hmm. it's not, but no, the, everybody, yeah. everybody has something super special within mm-hmm. them, mm-hmm. but it also takes a lot of work and exactly. uncomfort to tap mm-hmm. into that. And so, yeah, it's kind of cool to hear you break that down as well. Exactly. Yeah. One of my really good friends, um, one of the things she always tells me is I've never met anyone who wasn't interesting. Yeah. You know, which which yeah. is so true. Like, you know, like, like, like we put these like people who are like artistic in some way, like at a higher level because they create um, art like artistically. But like that doesn't mean that they're the most interesting people. Like mm-hmm. everyone's interesting, like from like the people that you might not even consider, you know, like from like the person who cleans your toilets, you know, they have incredibly interesting stories. Yeah, they have yeah. You just lives, haven't you know? asked them the right question exactly. yet. You know? yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's like one thing that like the, the humans of like New York and like that series like really does a good job of like highlighting, you know, everyone, random people on the street, like everyone's got an, a very, very interesting stories. And like, you know, like it's just a matter of sharing them and like asking the right questions. Yeah. Yeah. I feel, I feel like we're all legends, you know? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. And remember that people be good to your fellow legends as well. <laughs> and uh, yeah, if you guys are listening to this on Spotify, iTunes, Google play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, just to let you know that every episode has its own homepage at www.girthradio.com. You're going to see, pictures of this man in the studio you're gonna see some his book and all the links to his social media and where you can buy the book and his other uh, pieces of work if you forgot it throughout <laughs> this episode but yeah thanks for listening and thank you so so much this conversation was very special to me man thank you so much for having me I appreciate you cheers hey everybody i hope you enjoyed that episode thanks again to mugabe Like we mentioned, you can get a link to his book on our website, www.girthradio.com. And like always, we're going to end this episode with a song. And this one is from Mugabe's brother. He's a rapper named Three Card. This is a fantastic tune, and it's called It's Been a Long Time. Yeah. Right, yeah, hey, 
Girth Radio. Yo, the streets are calling to me, speaking in fluent rhythm. They influencing my decision over my religion. Cause I've been thinking about the domination, abomination, and desecration of my vocation. And I don't like it. Psychic, like a medium, I'm heating them. Leading them through the streets like I'm feeding them. You never bite the hand that feeds you when they understand it. Granted, they planning a great escape like Steve McQueen. They claim that they tired already. And they heard enough like if Dre dropped frequently. But he doesn't, so I maintain stamina. Walk through the industry, a mainstream amateur. Just might damage other flow, so soul caliber. That I gotta keep it under control. Spit fire like the opposite of rhyme in the snow. Stakes high like daylight, so keep calling my name. Without a dope beat, step two. Step two, step two, step two, step two, step two. Hey, hey, they still calling to me. Hold the applause, they lost without direction, like a revolution without a cause. They lacking inspiration, I'm lacking patience. So we impatiently waiting, debating, and started conversating. The streets talk about rights like a courthouse. Hated being used just so young brothers could walk it out. And I was listening, slowly figuring out a formulaic rhyme scheme built on Aramaic. That means I'm complicated, I'm rapping like I'm really. Later to the love child of El Boogie and Amadeus Not impossible, nothing is, listen to this Realize like a classic, it's infinite So ridiculous, I master the rhythm in All the rhyming, so I know they've been calling my name They keep calling, keep calling, keep, keep calling It's been a long time, it's been a long time It's been a long time, they keep calling Hey, hey, time. I never knew, hey, I never knew Without a You've been calling step, for so long step, 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 For so long, step, home. Step, hey. Step, hey It's been a long time since I left you Without a dope beat Step to, step to, step to, step to, step to, step to It's been a hey, long time I never knew you've been calling for so long Heard you been ballin' like a Jim Jones song But wait, if there's a problem I promise to help you solve it till I'm buried in the coffin And please, if I fail before the world is on their knees I will rise from my grave like Michael Young history Vividly, I will rise higher than a sequoia While I clock in this prime Paint a perfect picture for you Picture perfect, your physical is worth it Got me cursing myself like a schizophrenic person in person Immersed in this tangled web of lies that I live as a man But I wove as a child Inspired by you, I was sighted, it is true By the beauty of the rhythm that you put into me The streets Calling my name, keep keep calling. Keep calling my name. It's been a long time. It's been a long time. They keep calling, yeah. They keep calling, keep keep calling. It's been a long time, hey. It's it's been a long time, long one time. Keep going. 